um, everybody is really touching on the message of the cross on some level or another in their in their message. It just it's it's really impossible to preach the gospel without without hitting on it. It, it is a central element in the gospel. However, it is not the entire gospel. Um, you know, Tim referenced yesterday something about like, he said something, oh, well, it's just all about the cross. You go, but sometimes we just throw things out there assuming everybody knows what we mean when we say that, that word or that phrase, or that terminology stuff. So I just want to start out, hopefully not too long, just going over a little bit of the things that we're talking about here. Just starting out with the very basics, you know, the, the, the theme of the conference is putting no obstacles before the gospel. So I just want to touch real basically, what does the scripture say about the gospel? And so I may jump around on my notes, it may not be totally clear, you can definitely reference them later. We'll, we'll go through uh, quite a few scriptures that are not in the notes, so I encourage you to have your Bible ready. Um, real thankful for Tim and Han's message this morning, uh, real convicting ministered to me and I feel a little tender as the Holy Spirit is doing stuff in my heart so hopefully we can get through this in one piece Roman number one what is the gospel so Mark 1 14 says now after John had been taken into custody Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel so we get these like this is the very beginning of, of, of Mark's gospel and Jesus comes on the scene and just says believe in the gospel he's preaching the gospel of God believe in the gospel so obviously there's no he's laid no foundation before the people as though the gospel were a new thing okay this is just the good news right it's just most plainly translated the gospel means good news and so this is a uh, this is not a new thing going on in Jesus' day. It's not a couple hundred years old. In fact, Paul tells us that Abraham heard the gospel. Do we, do we think about the gospel in terms of the fact that it was, it was spoken to Abraham? The gospel is not a new thing. It's not a New Testament thing. That's why they can preach the gospel and tell people that he came preaching the gospel and they don't feel any reason to lay a backdrop of what he's saying very common understanding in the Jewish culture so we first come to this word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in the Septuagint we find the, the word that is used in, in the New Testament yongelion, or something along those lines means good news but we actually find it first referenced in the Old Testament in, in regards to the gospel in Isaiah 40 we're going to read that just to get an idea so we can understand what they think is going on when someone is preaching the gospel so isaiah 40 starting in verse 9 says go on up to a high mountain o zion herald of good news lift up your voice with strength o jerusalem herald of good news lift it up fear not and say to the cities of judah behold your god behold the lord your god comes with might and his arm rules for him behold his reward is with him and his recompense is before him so here is the good news to Jerusalem, to the, to the ends of the earth, also for Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is being charged here to be the proclaimers of the good news, right? And we know that Paul tells us that 
the oracles in the, in, the, in the gospel was entrusted to Israel. They were the stewards of the gospel to the Gentiles, to be a light to the Gentiles. So this is the, this is the good news, that God is going to come with his, bearing his right arm, and he will deliver Israel from the, her enemies. This is the gospel in its most plain form. So, in our day, we struggle with everybody thinks they're pre- everybody thinks they're preaching the gospel. You go to any church on Sunday and they're preaching the gospel. No one's going to deny that, really, you know. But we just want to come b- before the the scriptures and say, well, what do the scriptures say about the gospel? Or not to say, oh, we want to preach on what God says about how how much money we should have, or how many things, or what how what about missions? This well, let's find out exactly what the scriptures say regarding such things so we can live our lives in agreement with the Lord and and what he says about things so it's not Jesus didn't come along preaching hey I have a plan for your life (laughs) you know I have a destiny for you and 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 those kind of things it it was a it was a message of hope one that they had been waiting on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and he says it's at hand. So it's not a Jesus loves you, he's got a plan for your life message. I mean, that, that's just not how they understood it, obviously. Jesus does love you, and he does have a plan for your life. It mostly involves the death of your flesh in this age, so that you can live forever. The idea is, the thing is, we're not, we're too consumed with this age. You know, Francis Chan has an awesome video up there, just a couple minutes of his sermon somewhere, you can find it somewhere around. And he's, he's talking about the age to come and how consumed we are with this age. And he has this rope, it must be 100 feet long. He just starts pulling on this rope. He goes, see, this rope, it's white. He goes, it just represents the ages and ages to come. What we're living for, what we're hoping for, what the scriptures tell us we are to live our lives in light of. You know, and he's just throwing out foot, foot after rope after rope. And he gets to the very end. And there's a one-inch piece of red tape on it. And all we care about is this one inch. It's all we put all of our, our focus on, all of our energy, all of our money goes into this tiny little red piece. When the whole scripture tells us to forget about the red piece and focus on the thousands of feet, you know, the ages upon the ages for which the believers uh, are destined to inherit. So... We're longing for the day when the Lord comes to do what he said he would do, restore the fortunes of Israel, and by his mercy, us Gentiles being able to participate in those things. Um, it's all throughout the Old Testament. I'll just reference Ezekiel thirty-nine twenty-five. There's a reason the Lord is, there, there's, we could unpack this for days. We're going to be quick, though. There's a reason the Lord is going to save Israel. And it's because in his manifest wisdom, he chose Israel, a stubborn, rebellious, stiff-necked people who could claim nothing of themselves because they're just, they're, there's nothing to boast in. And he picked them, and he put his name upon them. He's never been called the God of the Gentiles. He called himself the God of Israel. And his name is directly attached to them, and so is his reputation among the nations. And so, 
His plan is to vindicate Israel because in the process he does so, he vindicates his own name. So, Ezekiel 39 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. He's restoring the fortunes of Israel for his own namesake. You have the opportunity to repent and believe for his namesake. We exist for his glory, for his pleasure. He didn't even do it for you as much as he did it for his own name. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and skip over to the page 13, Roman numeral 2, take up your cross. So Jesus came along with John the Baptist. These are the only two we're told of in the Gospels that came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They didn't come preaching anything different than what we've just really briefly covered. God himself will vindicate Israel. The very Israel that is under the, uh, the rule of a Roman Empire, who no longer really have their own sovereignty anymore, and are not operating under the promised blessings of God's people, as he declares they will once he uh, establishes that new covenant with them, and, they, and their hearts are circumcised by him. So they come preaching a gospel that says the Lord is going to do it, and it's at hand. So there's no difference. It's the same message. Isaiah 40, the Lord is coming. He's going to deliver you. But there is an element that changes. The cross is revealed. Jesus comes and he unveils the mystery of the cross. And this was not unforeseen. It was not not prophesied. It was prophesied by the law and the prophets. Jesus tells us in, in, in Luke 24, when he's walking on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples, don't you know, these, the law and the prophets spoke of me, that these things were going to happen. Did not the law and the prophets say, the Messiah must suffer before entering his glory? So the, the cross is not a new idea. It was there. But in God's man, manifest wisdom, it says he kept it hidden for ages past. Now revealed to us. Colossians 1.26, the mystery which has been hidden from, from past ages and generations but has now been manifest to saints. A glorious thing indeed for us. So, Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He came as the son of man, the one destined to rule the earth. But he's throwing a little curveball because they don't, they don't understand the cross yet. It's been hidden from Israel. And he comes and says, I'm the Messiah. You want to enter into the kingdom that is prophesied about? Everybody's waiting for the kingdom to be established. And Israel, this is how you do it. And actually, there's quite a few uh, uh, groups of Israelites over the years that thought that they were going to do it by the strength of man and by force. And they tried to make it happen. But the Lord is very clear in the Old Testament that it's by his own strength and his own arm and no one helped him establish the kingdom. So the Lord allows them to flounder in, the, in, their, own, in their own foolishness for many, many years. But he says, this is how you inherit the kingdom. Not by the strength of man, but by, the, by putting trust in, in God to do what he said he was going to do. That he would do it himself. And so he says, anyone that wishes to come after me must deny himself and take up his cross. 
this is how you inherit eternal life. So, they came preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And anyone who wishes to come after me, who will establish the kingdom, must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So, I like these two phrases. They go together in my mind real well. Repent, the kingdom is at hand. Take up your cross and deny yourself. Seemingly, to, in my mind, they really, they're, they're almost synonyms. You repent from trying to enter the kingdom your own way. You repent from trying to, uh, to save yourself or to earn salvation, however you want to put it, and you believe. And then you take up your cross and you deny yourself because yourself tells you to earn it, to, to, to make it on your own and, and, and to gain salvation by your own strength. To, to repent and deny yourself. Very similar ideas in my mind. So you deny yourself. And, and, and the most basic way to understand that is to just say no to yourself. Because the flesh in us is rising up daily and at war with the spirit in us right and so the flesh rises up and says strive in the flesh do it by the strength of man and jesus says, if you want to be my disciple you say no to that every day you wake up and you deny yourself because yourself leads to eternal destruction but the cross leads to eternal life Take up your cross and deny yourself. So, those who wish to inherit eternal life want to be a disciple of Jesus. Take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. So this is the pattern that he's left us, right? Peter says, 1 Peter 2.21, You have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. So we have Jesus' life as a witness. What must I do to be saved? How can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you do what I did. You take up your cross, you deny yourself, and you walk in his footsteps. Well, how did Jesus deny himself? Well, being fully God, he did not consider equality with God. He denied that aspect of who he was became fully man and died to death on a cross destined only for murderers sinners that uh, that he did not uh, deserve so we have this example of what God is what God is like what he calls us to Romans 5 8 says but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is how we know what love is, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ laid down his life for us. His enemies. While we were yet his enemies, he died for us. So then how do we demonstrate to the world that we are disciples of Christ? It certainly isn't through fancy words. It isn't by being the best orator. It isn't by being the, the most powerful, the most energetic and loud. And That means nothing. 
as we've already been listening to these guys talk about today, it's in the way you conduct your life to see if the words you speak have any power or not. The way we conduct ourselves in this age is either going to get people to believe that what we say is true or that we're fakers. In other words, we say one thing, but we do another. Who does that sound like? Sounds like a whitewashed tomb. The constant pounding that Jesus gave towards the Pharisees. You tell them to do one thing, but you do another. So then, John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So let's just be real clear in the context of John, what he's talking about. It doesn't say, by this they will know you are my disciples, by the kindness that you show to strangers. Kindness is good through the Spirit. We want to be kind to people, no question. But there's also no question that what he's talking about here is not the kindness that we show people, that people will know we're real Christians. Are you willing to lay your life down for your neighbor or for your enemy? This is the kind of love that God showed that he requires of his disciples. By this all men will know. So our, we aim in this life to be a witness of the love of God as believers. That's our aim, right? You know, I'm just struck today, you know, Tim mentioned something either last night or this morning by the, the weight and the privilege it is to preach the gospel. I mean, it's weighty. Because those who preach the gospel bear the name of the Lord Jesus. God has a he has a controversy with Israel because they profaned his name among the nations. And here we are, followers of Christ, and are we bringing glory to his name or are we bringing shame to his name? You know, he told, the, he told Israel, he said, you know, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. What do we mean by that? Some people might say, well, you're just not supposed to swear with his name. Well, yeah, that's, that's pretty much a given. That's true. We don't do that. But you've been called by the Lord. You are Israel, God's chosen people. Therefore, what? Be holy as I am holy, Israel. What does that mean, be holy? Really, in the most simplistic way to understand it, it just means be different. Be other than, separate from. So he says, Israel, be separate from what? Other people. Why? Because I'm not like any other God. The Lord God of Israel is holy. He's different from all the gods that the nations worship. And if you're going to be called by not my name, you also must be different. And the Lord would say the same to us today. If you want to be called by the name of the Lord Jesus, there is a pattern of life that he calls all his disciples to and it's not up for debate it's not up for interpretation you take up your cross you deny yourself and you follow in his footsteps 
So, Roman numeral three. What is Jesus asking of us? Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's a million and one messages out there on the cross. The cross of Christ did this. The cross of Christ means this. The cross not invalidating them. But the cross of Christ was very, very clear in the sense that it called people to lose their lives, to deny their, themselves of seeking what's best for themselves, to, to indulging the desires of the flesh in this age so that you'll live in the age to come. A very simple thing to understand and very difficult to live out, right? Lord wasn't saying anything easy. The command was easy, but the but the carrying it out is very very hard. If you wish to lose if you wish to save your life, in other words, not take up your cross, you will lose eternal life. It's this little red piece of tape, right? We've got a thousand feet of white rope here. And we're, we're worried about this one inch, this one inch of red tape. It's all we care about. It's all we live for most of the time. Lord, help us. Help me. So the cross, you know, the good life, you know. Thank the Lord for the cross. Jesus went to the cross so you don't have to go to the cross, you know, on some level. Okay, that's not necessarily all all false you know we don't have to inherit the lake of fire thanks to the cross praise the lord but the lord never disqualified anyone from taking up their cross i mean that was the very prerequisite to being a disciple of jesus not it's not jesus took up his cross so you don't have to it's jesus took up his cross to show you how to live the cross was a real life demonstration lived out before the disciples' eyes and in all of Israel that saw him. A real-life witness of how to live in this present evil age. That's just, it's just a, a blink. It's a breath in light of the ages and ages to come. You know, I love in, in Spanish, the, the, the age to come or forever and ever, it's actually translated ages and ages. The ages and the ages. You know, this is one age that we're living in, right? We're living in this present evil age. But there are ages upon ages upon ages to come that we will inherit as those who remain faithful to the Lord. So this is the cross and the life of a cross, the self-denial, embracing uh, the, the pain, the suffering that comes with a life of a disciple of Jesus. It's a road map, an instructional guide to all those who wish to inherit eternal life. And in Matthew 10, 38, and he who does not take up his cross is not worthy of me. You're not worthy of my name. You're not worthy of being allowed to enter into the kingdom of God in the age to come. The cross is the way. 
See, Matthew 10, 24, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It's not Jesus went to the cross so I don't have to endure suffering and hardship. No, we follow him, right? We emulate our master. We, we want to do what he says to do and, and what he shows us to do in the way he lived. But the cross, it's fun sometimes to preach the cross. Yeah, the cross, love the cross, you know. It is hard. I mean, if you truly wake up in the morning, you ask the Lord, you say, thank you, Father, that you have allowed me to wake up today. You've, you've put breath in my lungs. You're sustaining me all day, every day. You're actively sustaining me, giving me life. Strengthen me to take up my cross and follow you, to deny myself, because myself doesn't want to give you honor myself doesn't want to glorify you myself doesn't want to say no to the flesh very difficult in the word of the cross first corinthians 118 the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing it's foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of god Praise the Lord. He has strengthened us through his spirit to embrace the cross. But, beloved, as we run in and as we go through life and we just say, you know what, I am so done with all this. You know, difficulty comes and, and persecution and afflictions come into our lives and we go, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just going to take a break because this is ridiculous. This is over the top. This is too much, you know. Like, what am I supposed to do here? Why is all that, you know, it's just like, why me, why me, whatever. The cross is foolish only to those who are perishing. Let's think about that. When we deny the discipline of the Lord, the hardships of the Lord that come our way for our good, as he disciplines and as he leads us and as he puts things in our way that cause us to fall to our knees and ask for mercy again to stand up when we stumble. Beloved, when the cross and his way becomes foolishness, we must consider what that means. We're not looking in the right direction. First Corinthians one twenty three. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. The cross is foolish. Beloved, how many of us have family members and friends and business associates and whatever that go, that's not how you do that. What are you doing? Stand up for yourself. Don't let them say that. Do this. Do that. Charge more. You're worth more. Come on. That's, you got it. that's not how business works. That's not how you operate. You, know? you can't let them walk all over you. Beloved, these are the most easy offenses we're going to endure there's people telling us we're foolish but it is reason to rejoice because the cost is foolishness to those perishing and when people look at us and say you're being foolish maybe that's a good indicator we're on the right path woe to those who, who whom the world loves you know we ought to be causing angst inside of people as, as a result of the way we live. Believers and unbelievers alike. 
We know here we get together with one another. And, 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 and how many of you DTN guys are just stirred to, to, to grind it out again? Because you see your, your brother, what's it, and you just go, man, they're doing it. I'm so convicted. And they're really plowed ahead. I mean, we, we sharpen one another, right? And we don't think they're foolish, but rather we, we honor them. And we say they're doing it. He's doing it. I can do it. You know, we spur one another on. The life of cross is, is, is difficult. It is very difficult. But it is the way that the Lord has ordained things. Because Jesus wasn't the most popular guy around. He, you know, his message wasn't well received. His, his disciples' message wasn't well received. Generally speaking, yeah, many came to faith, you know as they went about but you know far from being the uh the itinerant speaker that 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 everyone wants to to have come to their church paul expected imprisonment and chains every time he visited a new city not exactly you know lighting the place on fire everywhere he goes the cross is the Lord's sovereign wisdom in this age. And only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we even grasp such a concept. Because otherwise, it's complete foolishness to us. To those who are perishing, it is. And so, we all understand. I'm, I won't stay on the cross the whole time. But I'm just trying to lay out the idea of what does it mean when we say the cross? What does it mean when we say the gospel? Okay, so a means of representing the gospel and what the gospel is like and, 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 and what the message is, is embodied in a life that embraces the cross. Because who's preaching the gospel better than Jesus? Right? And what did he do? He, he took up his cross, denied himself. So the cross is the best way to show the gospel message, to show it. We live our lives. If we're not able to talk to someone, they can see us from afar. They can watch us. You know, you talk about the motives of the heart and the, and the adherence to truth and, and, and avoiding falsehood. People watch us, and the gospel is visible before their eyes. And we give a witness that they actually have to come. At some point, they see you, and they have to come to, to grip with what they're going to decide about the way you live. So the cross is the crucial element to displaying the gospel in the way we live. The laying down of our lives, the, the letting God be the avenger of us, the one who will make things right. We're not trying to clear our name. We're not trying to make sure everyone knows that's not what I meant. Or, well, maybe I should repackage this. Or, I mean, you know, I, I don't want people to hate me, you know. It's a part of the deal. It's just part of the deal. So I want to take a little time to consider Paul's example. There's an example in all the apostles. Paul is is obviously the one we have most material on, and I just I'm gonna we're gonna go through some scriptures here. Some of them aren't written down, but just the very first one, one of the most provoking scriptures. Tim touched on it already in all of the New Testament to me. First Corinthians eleven one. Brethren, be imitators of me because I imitate Christ. With full conviction, full of love in his heart, caring for the first Corinthians, 
to become full, mature people in the Lord. There's no arrogance going on in Paul's heart. He's full of sincere concern that they would be made complete in him. He says, imitate me because I imitate Christ. The most provocative sentence in the script in the New Testament to me. You know, I think about that as a father. And one day I want to be able to tell my children to imitate me as I imitate Christ, you know, to my real children, my, my biological children. And then to, to those the Lord gives in under in care under me as I, as I lead people in, in the way of the cross. Ought to be something we all strive to be able to say someday with absolute sincerity in our hearts. Galatians 1.6, you can turn there if you'd like. I'm going to be flipping through some scriptures right now. <clears throat> Just going to talk about the, what Paul says about his, his, himself and his example and his gospel. Ooh, the time. Galatians 1.6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace for a dis- by, called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really only one. So Paul is beginning to to talk to his people. He's he's laying down a foundation. He says, "My gospel is a true gospel." Okay, so there's lots of gospels actually going around in Paul's day, in Jesus's day. Lots of people are saying, "Yeah, the kingdom of God is going to be established." by us come follow me out in the wilderness or it's going to be established by this and by that and and there's different gospels going on but paul's gospel is the gospel that was handed down to him by divine revelation from god and he says there's no other gospel that is true that you can adhere to that you can claim to that will be true and so he goes through and he has time and time again when he when he goes into his churches and he says my gospel my message my life, it's the only one. He goes, I don't care. If, we, if I write you again and tell you a different gospel, no good. If an angel comes to you and tells you a different gospel, it's not true. I love the boldness and the confidence with which Paul asserts the one true testimony of the, of the gospel. Because 2 Thessalonians 2, 14. It was for this he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Christ Jesus. So just our gospel, my gospel, this message, not another. Okay, I'm going to, for time's sake, I'm going to skip over some of the other ones I had. But I want to go now into a little bit of the life of of Paul and the way he considers himself as a disciple or a servant of God. How ought one act? So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read a little bit here because the whole passage is powerful. 1 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 1. It goes, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Okay? This is, he goes, let everyone, this is the way a servant of Christ ought to conduct himself in this age. That's what Paul's starting off this chapter with, right? 
In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Beloved, the gospel has been entrusted to us. We must be found trustworthy to represent it well. As God has designed, as God has required it to be represented. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to the light things hidden in darkness and disclose the motive of men's hearts, and each man's praise will come to him from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You are already filled. You've already become rich. You're kings without us. And indeed, I wish you had become kings so that we might also reign with you. It's an intense thing Paul's writing to the Corinthians right now. For I think God has exhibited us apostles, remembered, regard us in this manner, apostles, servants of God. I think God has exhibited us apostles, last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We're fools for Christ's sakes, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we're hungry, we're thirsty, we're poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We toil, working with our own hands. When we're reviled, we bless. When, we're perse- when persecuted, we endure. When we're slandered, we, we try to conciliate. We have become the scum of the world and the dregs of all things, even until now. I don't write these things to shame you, but to admonish you, children. We're, we're acknowledging that the motives from, from, from Paul's heart are pure and sincere. And he's saying, beloved, you are on a reckless path to consider yourself these things when here we are the servants of God, the apostles of God, and this is how we're treated. This is our experience as servants of God. Yet you claim a totally different experience. Be imitators of me, for I imitate Christ. It's a powerful rebuke to the Corinthians in, in, in their error. 1 Corinthians 9. Verse 12. If others share the right of you, do not we more. Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that... N- we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. You've heard this already once or twice before in this conference. Be imitators of me because I imitate Christ. And we endure all things so that no hindrance will come before the gospel. Okay, this is bearing our cross. This is enduring difficulty and this is enduring affliction. This is enduring suffering for the sake of the gospel. Okay, we're running out of time. I have to skip down for a while. But there's, there's, there's scripture after scripture. Paul talking about giving his testimony of what it is like for a servant of God to expect on the earth and how to conduct himself in this age. So the difficulty is that we'll go, go down to uh, letter H on page uh, 14. 
While many Christians go on living in a way that's indistinguishable from the world, the Lord calls us to embrace difficulty, to embrace shame, to be marginalized, and to lay down our lives in this age to gain them in the age to come. So, praise the Lord. Jesus ascended and left us with the Holy Spirit, dwells on the inside of us, who empowers us each day to say yes to the cross, to deny ourselves, to walk on that narrow path that's very hard and fewer who find it. If we're going to preach the gospel of the kingdom, how necessary is it for our conduct to match our message? If the gospel of the kingdom is the nations are going to, to experience severe discipline in the wrath of God for rebelling against him, or even the house of Israel for profaning his name, he has disciplined them, how much more us, we also have the same standard by which we're being held. If we're going to preach that gospel, we say, in light of that day, repent and believe that it's actually going to happen. He's actually going to bear his arm against those who, who do not put their faith in him, those who rebel against him. So, the, the obstacle of not embracing the gospel. I have 15 scriptures I was, I was hoping to get to. We're not going to. But Philippians 3.18, real quick, is important. Philippians 3.18. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Beloved, enemies of the cross. We never graduate from a life of embracing the cross. Talk to people and say, yeah, I mean, the cross, you know, and self-sacrifice. You know, you do that kind of early on. You learn, you mature, and then you kind of move on to bigger things. No, beloved, like Tim said earlier this morning, you mature in bearing your cross. You never go beyond it. Jesus never graduated from the cross. It was his thesis. It was what he worked his whole life to display. It wasn't the first thing he did. And, you know, by 16, he was done with that and went on to bigger, better things. The cross was the fullness of his life. How much more ours as we try to emulate him before man on earth. So the difficulty, 2 Timothy 2.18, those who do not love the truth have led other people to ruin and destruction. The Pharisees, entrusted with the oracles and the gospel, the message of, of God's redeeming plan on the earth. They, like many of the false prophets of old in, in, the, in the rebellious house of Israel in the, in, the, in, the age, in the years past that the prophets talk about, they did not represent God well to the nations, and he has an issue with them. And, and it's led to their severe discipline for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years because of them profaning his name. And that's what we're talking about. We don't embrace the cross, yet we call ourselves disciples of Jesus. We profane his name because it's not the way he has ordained us to live our lives on this earth. It's not for you to decide how to live as a disciple of Christ. He's laid a real clear plan out for it. And so we're finding ourselves in that thing. We don't take his name in vain. This is the obstacle to the gospel. I love Jesus, love Jesus, and then you know, whatever, um, 
preaching, praise the Lord, the cross, everything like that. I go back to my hotel with my wife, and we get in the elevator, and I just yell at her. I, I, I tear her down, and I speak poorly to her, only to have someone observing me that was at the conference that day. Beloved, the Lord takes serious issue profaning his name amongst the peoples like that. So when we say, oh, yeah, Jesus, this, Jesus, they were a disciple of Christ, the oh, Lord, I love the Lord. But we make a mockery of him in the way we live our lives. We create an obstacle to people embracing the gospel. Matthew 18 said, woe to him who causes one of these to stumble. Beloved, we profane the name of God. We take the name of God in vain. We call ourselves disciples, but we don't display what he's like in front of the world. He's got a serious issue with it. He'll deal with it. In his mercy, he may discipline you right now and in this age. God disciplines those whom he loves. If he's not disciplining you, you should be very concerned. We're going to close here now and just pray. So we just laid out the gospel. What's the gospel? What, what obstacles? Are, we're, we're trying to keep the obstacles from what? From the message of God redeeming the earth and vindicating his holy name. Vindicating Israel to vindicate his name. He will vindicate us, right? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Don't repay people for evil for evil. Let the Lord repay them. Why, why do we wait and receive the, the, the difficulties, the suffering, the trials? Why do we wait? Because it shows people that we're waiting for our ultimate day of vindication. I don't, I don't vindicate myself today because I trust that God will do what he promised to do. It's how we display to the world what he's like and that his word is true and that he's going to do it. So the obstacle of not embracing the cross is giving a false witness of what the Lord is like, and he is very jealous for his name. And we do not want to be on the other side of that. So I'll pray to close this out. Lord Jesus, we love your gospel. We love your word, your scriptures. We treasure them. We value them. Father, I fear we don't value them like we should. We're so thankful, Lord, for your message. We're thankful, Lord, as Gentiles, we've been grafted in by no, uh, by no deserving of our own, by nothing that we've done. We thank you for the mercy of the cross. We thank you, Lord, that we can, we can depend upon that sacrifice to save us from the lake of fire. Father, we ask for strength to take up our cross daily, to deny ourselves, to say yes to your, the discipline this age, the yes to being marginalized, to being shamed and put down, but to be praised and receive glory and honor from you on the day when you come. Father, we ask for grace and strength upon us to be faithful witnesses of the love of God as we lay down our life for one another, for our enemy, to show what the Lord is like by taking up our cross, by, by denying ourselves, by not seeking what's best for ourselves, but preferring others is more important than us. Lord Jesus, I ask for strength. I ask for grace. I ask for boldness and courage 
to embrace the gospel, to embrace the cross in this age and be a faithful witness of what you're like, to be a faithful witness of, of the gospel message that you will come again and you will fulfill every word that you said in this, in this book. We love you, Lord Jesus. We ask you to be glorified by our lives. And Father, we ask in your mercy, keep us on the narrow path. In Jesus' name, amen.